Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. The Turkmen government has been a chronic rights violator. So many activists and government critics have been imprisoned over the last 30 years that few in Turkmenistan even attempt to challenge anything the government says or does. But it is necessary to continue raising the cases of those who have been wrongly imprisoned in Turkmenistan to remind people outside Turkmenistan what's happening. And because sometimes outside pressure does help to get some people released from jail. To discuss all this, I am joined by Rachel Denberg, Deputy Director of Human Rights Watch's Europe and Central Asia Division, Ivar Dale, Senior Policy Advisor at the Norwegian Helsinki Committee, and Farouk Yusupov, Director of RFARL's Turkmen Service, known locally as Asadli. Thank you all for joining me. And I'm going to start with Ivar because you have a case that you've been following for a while. And uh, you wanted to discuss this to, to open our conversation. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Yes, I, I do have one particular case that's been on uh, my mind recently. And uh, I know Rachel also is uh, very concerned about it. And we have been for years. And it's the case of a man called Gulgeldi Ananyazov. And the, the reason why this is particularly close to my heart, this whole story, is because he uh, used to live in Norway, where I'm from. Uh, his family still lives here, but he's been in prison in Turkmenistan for now 16 years. And it's, it's, it's a story that is just uh, completely, uh, really awful when you think about the fact that they, they've, they've really just taken a quarter of this guy's life away from him. And I met uh, Gulgeldi the first time. It was back, I think, in the very late 2007. I was living in Bishkek in Kyrgyzstan at that time, working for the Norwegian Helsinki Committee. And he came from Norway. As you recall, uh, President Niazov had died a while before, and uh, he was encouraged, Gogeldi was encouraged by uh, news that the new president, uh, Gurbanguly Berdimuhamedov, he had just been to the U.S. and he made a speech at Columbia University where he said, uh, you know, promising things about the future of Turkmenistan. He was talking about democratic reforms, the country is open to the world and so on. And so I guess Gulgeldi, who had political asylum in Norway at that time, he thought that he would be able to go back to Turkmenistan and uh, contribute to this new Turkmenistan that he imagined was going to come. And he wanted, you know, international organizations like the NHC to be aware of the fact that he was going back there. Uh, and I remember I he showed up at our office in Bishkek and I took him out to lunch at a Georgian restaurant in Bishkek. And uh, we talked about this and I said, you know, I think... This sounds very risky. I don't. I I would advise against it. You don't know. You know, are these reforms for real? But he decided to go, and uh, we heard nothing from him until the news came out that he had, of course, been arrested as soon as he entered the country. Uh, and several months later, he was sentenced then to uh, eleven years prison for illegal border crossing to a country that he is a citizen of. And um, over the years, we've uh, heard very little. Uh, at times, we heard so little that, you know, both we and the international human rights community and indeed his family back in Norway thought that he had probably died in prison. Then after 11 years, he uh, we got the news that he had not died. On the contrary, he had served his full sentence and was now transferred, and he but, but not released as he should have been, but transferred to serve yet another five years in, in a kind of an exile in an extremely remote, uh, difficult part of Turkmenistan, where he still is. And uh, we fear that, uh, you know, I, I was just 
looking through the history of all this and we've raised it you know human rights watch has raised it we've raised it it's raised in absolutely every imaginable channel internationally through the united nations through the OSCE, eu uh, the norwegian ministry of foreign affairs has raised it with turkmenistan a number of times and the last time i've been allowed to say this on air the the norwegian mfa had a meeting with uh, vice foreign minister of turkmenistan just uh, right before christmas and they asked again, please, can you let this guy go back to Norway and to his family? And nothing has happened again. So, so I was looking at through the history of all this, and I realized that at that lunch that I had in Bishkek with uh, Gulgeldi, he was at that time the same age that I am now. But today he is 63 years old. Uh, the average life expectancy for men in Turkmenistan is 68. And that's if they have not spent a quarter of their life in prison. So I fear that, you know, I, I wonder what the intentions of Turkmen authorities are by now in, in the case of Kulgeldi on Amyosov. Thank you. Um, Richard, you're free to add anything you want to this, but I also wonder if you can talk about, uh, you know, he's, this is certainly not an isolated case. Can you give our audience an idea of, you know, what the general situation is in Turkmenistan for people like this? So I'd just like to add one more detail to the really comprehensive and moving summary that Ivar just gave, and that's that several years ago, the there were amendments to the Turkmen criminal code that had actually uh, reduced the sentence for the one of the two crimes of which Gulgeldi had been convicted, the crime of illegal border crossing. So the sentence was, in fact, it was quite drastically reduced. And it was drastically enough reduced such that he should have been, you know, given the time that he'd already served, plus the time he, you know, he's now been in his internal exile, there's absolutely no reason why Gulgeldi is not fully restored to freedom. You know, the the, the, the current sentence for that crime, even, uh, you know, even though he should never have been convicted in the first place, um, has been reduced. There's, there's, there's certainly no further hold on him. So I just wanted to, to clarify that. So just to widen the lens a little bit, yeah, I mean, Turkmenistan is, you know, for decades has been one of the most closed and repressive uh, countries in the world. It uh, has a government from Niazov through Berdi Muhammadov Per and now through Berdi Serdar, Berdi Muhammadov does not uh, tolerate any kind of uh, any any dissent, any criticism, any uh, independent reporting, scrutiny, partic political participation, nothing, and it uh, punishes it quite uh, quite severely. So there are the government goes after various types, various sorts of people uh, individually. I think mainly it tries to suppress uh, freedoms to such an extent that people simply don't have the opportunity or don't have, you know, don't want to take any kind of risk to, you know, to in any way stand out or to seek or to impart uh, information that might be in any way at, at variance with what the government says or what the government wants. Some of the most extreme cases that we have come across that we're dealing with are cases of people who were who were imprisoned quite early, uh, still during the Niazov uh, era, who were imprisoned 
uh, imprisoned for either many of them for an alleged coup attempt back in 2002 and for other uh, sins of, you know, falling out of favor with the government or being, you know, high level, you know, political figures or public figures accused of a, a, you know, a range of, of crimes. And they were, you know, convicted, sentenced to very long prison terms, and in, in many cases have been forcibly disappeared in Turkmenistan's prison system. So that, and what's that mean? That means that after their trials, which were mostly in secret, there they have, you know, had no visits with family, no letters to or from family, no, nothing official anyway. Family members don't have any official official information about the fate or whereabouts of their loved ones. So that really amounts to an enforced disappearance. And, you know, since in some of these cases, um, the highest profile of these cases include the former foreign minister, Bayeshik Boradov, the former ambassador to, Turkmen ambassador to Austria, and then also to the to OSCE, Batir Berdiev, also Boris Shikhmuradov's uh, uh, brother, Konstantin uh, Shikhmuradov, and many, and many, many others. So the Prove They Are Alive campaign, of which the Norwegian Helsinki Committee and Human Rights Watch are constituent, are, are two, constitu- two of the other constitu- of numerous constituent groups, uh, has estimated there have been a total of at least 162 people uh, forcibly disappeared in that way since, since 2002. So, you know, for some of them, that's more than 20 years. And it's like the old Stalinist practice of locking people up and throwing away the key without without the right to correspondence, you know, bias prava piripisi. So that's a, an urgent concern for us, obviously, because a forced disappearance is a crime. It's an international crime. It's a potential crime against humanity. And so far, we know that at least 27 of the people who are on our list have already uh, have already died. We also know that and this is why it's especially urgent. Uh, at least uh, three the, the the sentences of at least three dozen of the individuals on our list uh, have been uh, were scheduled to expire in 2022, but we still don't know where their their fate or their whereabouts. So maybe they're dead. Maybe they're alive. Right. Um, for many years, like Ivar said, people, you know, for a couple of years, people assumed that that Gulgadia Aniazov had not survived, but he did. So, you know, how many others are there rotting away in those prisons whose sentences expired and should be should be released, or maybe they have expired and they're in some internal exile and their families don't know where they are. There's you know, this is a, it's a crime and the Turkmen government needs to come clean on this. There are other, uh, many other individuals who have been uh, prosecuted for blatantly politically motivated reasons and who are not forcibly disappeared, fortunately. We actually, there's actually a, a kind of a bright spot. In December, two people whose cases we had been following were, had actually been, uh, were released under, under amnesty. And that was uh, Hursunay Ismatulayeva, who is a a doctor who uh, had been un, unfairly uh, fired from her job uh, several years ago and tried to get justice, tried to get reinstated. And then a couple of years ago, when her, there was a, a briefing on Central Asia at the European Parliament, and her case was flagged at, during that briefing, the very next day, 
the she was uh, arrested on uh, completely bogus uh, charges and and put in prison um for for several years but she uh, i mean fortunately she was released like i said under presidential amnesty in december and then another bright spot was the case of um Pergamberdi uh, who was a lawyer who was imprisoned, I believe, in 2020, also on bogus charges, likely because of his suspected ties to to Turkmen exiles who are politically active. Um, he was arrested on like completely ridiculous charges of getting into a fight with somebody. You know, hooliganism was one of, was one of these kind of setups, and he was also released early under amnesty uh, in December. But there are many more who uh, I wish, uh, for whom I, I, you know, wish I had some good news and we're still, you know, we, we will continue to really push for their releases. I should say that there was a huge outpouring of support for Husanai Ismatulayeva. A lot of people pushed for her release, including maybe especially at the level of the EU, since her case was flagged at an EU briefing, and also on behalf of uh, Alaberdiev. And so this is why we need to really continue to push for the releases of several other people. And these are I mean, I can just maybe flag a couple of the cases. One is uh, Nurgaldi Halikov, who is a uh, who is a like a reporter who contributed to uh, Turkmen News, and he is he had taken a, a photograph of. Sorry, he'd not taken a photo. He had uh, passed on a photograph of the a visiting delegation by the World Health Organization when they were in Turkmenistan in 2020 on a, on a visit, you know, to assess the, the country's COVID preparedness. And, uh, you know, because he had passed on that photograph, he, uh, he was arrested and, you know, you know, uh, tried on, compl- again, just completely ridiculous trumped up charges of uh, having to do with not paying a debt. And, uh, and yet he remains in prison. Also, Mansur Mangelov, who's a Bashkor activist who's on, who's on a very long prison term. Murat Avyezov, Seryozha Babaniazov, and, and others who, uh, who are in, in prison and really need to be released. Ivar, I think you had some interesting news about uh, information about Nurgadi Halikov, about your efforts, right? Yes, um, like you mentioned, uh, he ended up in prison uh, in connection with the visit of, uh, of a delegation of the World Health Organization to Turkmenistan during the COVID pandemic. And he had, uh, yeah, as you said, not taken a photo of this uh, these delegation members, uh, but merely forwarded a social media post that somebody else made and ended up in prison for a sentence to four years on some other trumped up charges. But we, what we did was, you know, the, 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 the impression you're left with is that Turkmen authorities have put this guy in prison as a way of punishment on behalf of the WHO. It's almost as if they, you know, they, they imagined that the WHO would want this guy to be punished for forwarding their photo from the from the Hyatt or, or whatever hotel it was in Ashgabat. And so we asked the WHO, is there something that you can do about this? Could you speak to the Turkmen's yourself and say that we don't want this guy to be in prison on our behalf. And I think it's quite unusual for the WHO to respond to to this kind of request. I don't know how many such requests they get, but but they did answer and they said that they'll make an exception here and actually go and speak to the Turkmen's to Turkmen authorities about it in Ashgabat through uh, their uh, through local UN representatives. 
So we're definitely going to follow up and see what came of that. Because uh, and and as they they also told us that, of course, the, nobody should be under the impression that the WHO wants something like this to happen because clearly they don't. So, so we hope something can can come of it. But you know, it's it's um, the way it is with Turkmenistan. It's it's so off the radar in in international media and uh, authorities there i guess they they treat both the turkmen people and the turkmen turkmenistan state budget as if it was their private property so i think it's very important every time there is something like this where where there's uh, an international angle to it through the un or whatever it is it, we we should jump on it because there's far too little attention that uh, that people who are suffering under human rights violations in Turkmenistan are given. Okay, thank you. Um, and Farouk, I'm going to bring you in now. And, uh, and of course, you're free to comment on anything that you've heard before. But I'm particularly interested in the case of, of Ismatulayeva and, and uh, you know, and Alaberdiev. You know, that they were amnestied, or it appears part of this amnesty is marked neutrality day in Turkmenistan, but I'm, I'm still kind of surprised. I mean, I was surprised to see that they both got out. They, they, uh, it's not characteristic for the Turkmen government to let these people out. They still had years of their sentences to serve. Were you surprised at that? Yeah, it was very surprising. You are right. Uh, we don't know what made Turkmen authorities to, to come to that decision, but apparently, as uh, Rachel, already, Rachel and Ivar already mentioned, there was this push from uh, the uh, European uh, Union's delegation in the country. And uh, I know that uh, some of uh, the Western uh, Western uh, embassies were uh, pushing for, for the release of Ismatulayeva and Alaberdiev. But uh, in that campaign pressure, uh, Nurgildi uh, uh, Halikov uh, was one of, the, is in the list of, of that campaign. And... Um, uh, Mingelov. Mingelov is also part of that uh, of the of that push. We don't know why uh, uh, Halikov and Mingelov haven't been released, or we we don't know if they haven't have not been released either because we we were trying to to get an information on their fate. Unfortunately, we couldn't. We were only able to confirm that uh, Ismatulayeva and uh, Alaberdiev were released. I hope I hope that Halikov and Mingelov will be released too. Will be released soon, and and many other political prisoners. And another reason that's my reading, my uh, pure speculation, is that the, the new Turkmen government is trying. I mean, we've been reporting about this. Is trying to improve the image of of the new leader, Serdar Berdimuhamedov, uh, especially in the uh, Western world to present him as sort of a face of a new Turkmenistan, if not a reformer. And the same thing happened, uh, if you remember, with, with his father when he first came to, to power. Everyone was very uh, optimistic uh, that uh, there will be political uh, reforms. And as Ivar uh, mentioned, that made uh, Gulgeldi and Aniyazov think that things are changing at the time. But... The, the release, release of these uh, two people whose cases were politically motivated gives some hope that there will be some thaw in Turkmenistan, at least for a certain time, certain period of time. But we will see. 
but it was re- as you, you you are right it was quite quite an achievement by a human rights community and international diplomatic community to get some people uh, to freedom okay thank you and I, I want to keep on this topic too but uh we have reached a halfway point in our discussion so it's time for me to remind that this is the Medjulis podcast radio for europe radio liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on central asia I'm Bruce Benier, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. And we're talking about the right situation in Turkmenistan. And joining me are Ivar Dale, Senior Policy Advisor at the Norwegian Helsinki Committee, Farouk Yusupo, Director of RFARL's Turkmen Service, known locally as Azad Lik, and Rachel Denver, Deputy Director of Human Rights Watch's Europe and Central Asia Division. And, and we've been discussing the fact that they just let two people go. Now, I also want to connect some of this. We've talked a little bit about Mansour uh, Mingelov also. Uh, the U.S. State Department just announced that they have this this initiative, hashtag Without Just Cause, uh, which is a political prisoners campaign. Given the fact that we've seen that pressure has worked to, to at least to help release, it appears, Isma Tulayeva and uh, Anala Berdia, are, are we seeing signs that, do you think, uh, and all of you get a chance at this, are we seeing signs that, that outside pressure is actually Working, or as Farouk suggested, is this just a kind of a ploy with a new leader? Uh, but I'm, I'm really I'm surprised because in the past there has been outside pressure to have people released, and it was ineffective entirely. It's worked in other Central Asian countries, not in Turkmenistan. So, what do you make of this, uh, Rachel? I'll start with you. Well, I think I just would. Let, I think the way maybe one way of looking at this is that nothing will change without outside pressure. That 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 it is absolutely essential because the the. Turkmen government otherwise has no motivation to no reason to release people whom it seems as their as threats or enemies or whatever wrongly so by the way so outside pressure is an it's an essential it, I don't think that releases would happen without it and then so it's something that we need to do regardless of what particular what particular set of conditions might might or might not materialize to make those releases happen right you have to you have to have the pressure there so that when the whatever other combination of conditions internally might be there to make it happen then you know then we've we've done our part so i think we i think that we've seen outside pressure work in other circumstances in, in in Turkmenistan I mean you know there are people who who were released at the end of their uh, of their full sentences at least they were released <laughs> there is no reason why they I mean the the Turkmen government could very easily have simply rearrested people at that point so and you know and these are also cases I'm thinking of cases in the past uh, where there people were detained and arrested and imprisoned or otherwise threatened and there was a, a, a you know, big international campaign on their behalf. I wouldn't say it's always failed. It's just that it's been, it's, it's very, very difficult, but it doesn't happen without outside pressure. Okay. Uh, thank you. Farouk, what do you think? Is, is this a short-term period of mercy in Turkmenistan, or do, or do you think that this is a sign that outside pressure is, is helping to influence Turkmen government decisions? Yeah, certainly outside pressure is not hurting. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is, uh, as Rachel uh, said, it's, uh, without outside pressure, they wouldn't even bother releasing anyone, even if they wanted to improve the image of, of uh, Bird, uh, Serdar Bird Mohamedov. I hope that these, uh, uh, this thought, so to speak, I mean, it, is, it will, uh, of course, last, it will not last forever. 
but I hope it will last longer than uh, than shorter rather than shorter. But it is, uh, I, I think it is it is part of the part of the uh, effort to improve uh, uh, Serdar's image uh, in the West, and it will last as long as the Turkmen government will uh, will want to. Uh, present uh, Serdar as the face of new new Turkmenistan. How long it will it will last? I, um, it's hard to say, but I don't think that it will last uh, very long. It uh, that it will last for years. Okay, uh, thanks. And this is a good time to get to Ivar, of course, because you just had a different experience. Um, you know, and also I wanted to mention that that since I brought up Mansur Mengelov, he is specifically on. Uh, a list that the U.S. State Department on the U.S. State Department's website of someone that should be brought up. But uh, Ivar, uh, you know, you just you just had an experience where the person that you were trying to help get out, you had the more typical response from the Turkmen government, where really they didn't do anything about that. How do you feel about the fact that um, you know there are people getting let out? Is that room for optimism, or is this you know as, as Farouk said, is this just a short-term thing, uh, and that will we won't see any more of? For months to come. Well, of course, we know very little about how people inside the Turkmen government think about these things. Maybe they would have been left out anyway. But uh, but I agree with uh, Rachel and Paruk that pressure on Turkmenistan is essential. And I think because uh, without it, uh, I'm I'm sure things would be even worse. What we need is more pressure, uh, because even though we we try our best, some organizations in the uh, human rights community keep bringing up Turkmenistan, but it's it's very little, of course, compared to to the amount of attention given to many other countries. And I think it's evident when you look at Turkmenistan, when you look at the elite there, uh, money is money talks. You know, it's uh, they treat the country's resources uh, as their their own uh, private private wallet. And uh, I think we have to look more at businesses working in Turkmenistan. I think that's an angle that is uh, could be fruitful. Uh, you know, the, there's been for years. It's it's um, it's been a little bit up to the companies themselves what sort of human rights efforts they want to make. But more recently, people talk about corporate social responsibility or C- uh, CSR is dead. Now it's a new it's a new era where I think which is coming, which is. Uh, where we will be able to put a lot of more uh, demands on companies uh, working in authoritarian uh, countries like Turkmenistan. They should also be at the forefront of, of trying to get people like Gulgeldi or Halikov out of prison and to, to improve the human rights situation in these countries where they are making their money. Bruce, if I may, I wanted to also add to, like, to, 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 to my uh, response about how long it will last. Uh, as you know, uh, like yesterday, I mean, the day before yesterday, uh, uh, the father, Berdu Muhammadov, announced that they want to change the parliamentary system again and go back to unicameral system uh, from the bicameral system, which, wa- which was established only two years ago. So things like politically, the human rights situation will also be very related to the developments uh, like coming from that decision. Uh, because they are going to separate this uh, upper chamber that's headed by Gurban uh, uh, the Mohamedov at the moment into a separate supreme body of power, uh, body of supreme power, as they call it. 
and it's going to be the the people's council if you remember the same powers were and uh, of course the gurbanguly will be at, at the helm of that uh, of that body if you remember during the, the niyazov's time uh, the uh, the people's council had the the same powers and niyazov used it for all of his uh, for establishing the cult of his personality and then uh, he used it to make uh, him uh, president for life so the same thing is going to happen uh, i think and Gurbanguly Berdu Muhammad was going to become the supreme leader and uh, he will be making the uh, ultimate decisions uh, all like uh, relating to uh, internal uh, affairs foreign affairs uh, military affairs so this is going to be, uh, everything political as i say and uh, including human rights situation will be related to to the developments um, uh, in this uh, in this issue so we will see how uh, and that period of thought will also be very much dependent on uh, on this uh, on this story yeah thank you for adding that it certainly is an ominous development uh and thanks for your services reporting on that too okay i want to get to one last thing though and that's the the, the kind of um, modern repression that's going on that's associated with technology. Now, inside Turkmenistan, it's it's really impossible to challenge the government, as I mentioned at the start of the program. You don't even want to be caught in the street saying out loud something that sounds like it's an anti-government statement. It's a sure ticket to jail. But from outside Turkmenistan, using new technology, people have been sending voices of, of opposition to the government into the country. And yet, one, it's very hard for citizens to see these because of all kinds of blocks people have, uh, the government's imposed on the internet. But but the penalties are, are huge for people that, that do try to access this. Uh, and, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about, about the the challenges that new technology is posing for the Turkmen government and, and new areas of rights violations that it's opening up um, at the same time. Uh, and Farouk, I guess you, I'll get to you first. Um, am, am I right that if you are caught with a video or something on your mobile phone that's a, from a YouTube channel or something that's an anti-Turkmen government propaganda station, you can be uh, imprisoned for treason? Uh, there is, yeah, there is a very uh, high risk for that. And in the recent year, there were a lot of cases when uh, a group of uh, police, a joint group of police and uh, uh, Turkmen KGB, they would raid uh, government agencies, public uh, public organizations, schools, and would just check people's people's phones for any uh, political content. And people were punished for that. People were uh, dismissed from work and punished for that. And the same thing happened to, by the way, to uh, Allah Berdiev. I mean, he had messages uh, on his phone uh, uh, that he exchanged with the political activists uh, in Turkey. So yeah, there is a very high risk. I cannot. I can uh, not give you the concrete examples because uh, people wanted uh, anonymity out of fear that uh, the, there would be more consequences for their families. But I know uh, of at least uh, three cases when uh, people people got punished, and after they got uh, got in touch with us, they were um, 
um, we lost contact with them. We don't know what happened to them. And another uh, very uh, outrageous example for that, for any sort of public uh, activity, uh, political activity, is the case of Omar Zako Markuliev. If you remember, he after he uh, established an organization of uh, the Association of uh, Turkmen Students in Turkey, and he spoke about it uh, on Azatlik. He went missing, and then we learned that he was given a sentence of 20 years. Turkmen government claimed that the uh, Azatlik's reporting was not true, and the uh, Omurzak served he, uh, not the prison sentence but the military service and is now living his private life. But they never produced any evidence whatsoever uh, that proved that uh, everything is, uh, I mean, his fate is okay. Everything turned out to be okay for Omurzak. So they never produced any uh, uh, evidence for that, just, just claim. So it is not safe uh, in Turkmenistan to 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 be engaged in any civil or political activity. But people do get uh, engaged. Like people share with us uh, w- with each other the political content. I know that they share what Azatlik produces or, or what other uh, independent media produces. And one indication for that is that during those raids, police even question like uh, younger children, like children of the first grade, second grades, asking them if they ever saw the logo and they show uh, Azatlik's logo, if they ever saw the logo, uh, this logo on their parents' uh, telephones. So there is uh, interest in uh, political and civil activity, but the government is trying and trying very hard to, to stop that. Bruce, I, I can add something if we have still have time. Please. So just to just to say also that in addition to uh, rating the institutions that uh, Farouk mentioned to check people's phones, the authorities are also really trying to crack down on you know service providers who they believe might be helping people install or providing like uh, VPNs. Like so, VPNs, virtual private networks, aren't explicitly banned in Turkmenistan, but providing illegal services that provide technical programs online is banned, and you can get a seven-year imprisonment, a term of seven-year imprisonment for that. And so, like tech service people have been, you know, have have been have been threatened. And in addition to looking for banned content, you know, officials are also looking for uh, banned apps when they go when they go after people. And, and they're also doing other things to like fully like block, uh, you know, the internet, there were, I think there were five, in five consecutive months in 2022, there were like near complete internet shut, uh, you know, there were like big internet disruptions, full or partial internet disruptions. This comes from your website, uh, from Azatlik. And I think there was also a a near complete internet shutdown for for two days uh, in April. Also, I think it's important to mention that, like, as these services, internet services disappear or become harder, that I mean, obviously that that has impacts on sharing of information, but also, you know, it has it has impact on people's daily lives. And you know, think of the the people who you know set up businesses, especially during COVID, you know, for delivery services and things like that. You know, they can't 
they can't function when there when there are these big shutdowns. Also, I I think just a, a corollary to what you mentioned, Bruce, is just also the you know, obviously the government wants to prevent connection between people inside the country and the move and the exile movement abroad, and they're also working very hard to to pressure the exile movement abroad, especially in Turkey. There were, you know, there, there was attacks this, uh, this past summer on a group of activists in, uh, in, in, in Istanbul who had gone to the Turkmen consulate to deliver a letter. You know, five of them were like very, very badly beaten. They have, the authorities have, I, I can only believe that, that, that the Turkmen authorities were in cahoots with the Turkish authorities in banning Tajigul Vigmedova from the Turkmenistan Helsinki Foundation from entering Turkmenistan. And, you know, there, there's constant pressure on the uh, Turkmen uh, migrant workers in Turkey, among whom many of many are, you know, some, some are like activists. Uh, used to be able to, Tur- Turkey used to be, uh, you know, one of the few countries that Turk men citizens could travel to without a visa and now there's uh, now there's a visa regime so you know you got to wonder why why did that happen you know i you know I, you can't help wonder you can't help believing that you know turkmenistan wanted to shut down that avenue uh, uh thank you um and eva uh, well first i want to mention too that that i uh, i had had to do some a piece on the turkmen media not so long ago and so i had to read the constitution and the law and media which guarantees the right to privacy for one thing uh, and also guarantees that there should be no interference in the dissemination of information uh, you know all very very uh, beautiful words which which no one pays any attention to but but Ivar I wanted to get to you on, on this topic too of the new technology I mean um, it seems like Turkmenistan's opened up a new like I said a new area of, of rights violations by doing this can you speak about um, you know add a little bit to to uh, the penalties and the measures that you know, the lengths that Turkmen officials go to to try to keep the country, keep information from outside the country from getting into the country. Yeah, uh, curbing access to the internet or or certain websites and and all of this is uh, one way that they try to keep information from people. But I often I get the feeling with Turkmenistan that it's not. You know the, the the lack of public protest against this regime is not due to ignorance uh, of the fact that they're living in one of the world's most uh, repressive countries. People, I think, in Turkmenistan are fully aware of this, but it's fear that is keeping them from speaking out. Um, because you can see what happens to uh, you know if you see your countrymen get put away for. 16 years for nothing, for, for crossing the border without their own passport in their pocket. If you see the, the security services or the, the treating people as their, their private property, then of course, uh, you know, fear will keep people from, from opening their mouth and from doing something when, the, when the, the reactions are so arbitrary and so serious that they can completely ruin your life and your family's life. Yeah, but uh, people, people of, of course, they, they do travel to Turkey, quite a few Turkmens, hopefully get access to somewhat more information there. But I think people realize what kind of country they live in, in comparison to, to others in the region, maybe. So, yeah, so I think we need to keep up pressure, especially on, on you know, the, the, those who do travel to Turkmenistan or do have outsiders who do have a voice in, uh, in Turkmenistan or have the ear of the the government, they have a moral responsibility to do everything they can. So that's uh, the diplomats and it's the businesses. 
should do what what what's possible to improve the general human rights situation there. Great, thank you. Uh, anything I missed that you want to make as a last comment, Ivar? Start with you. Anything you wanted to say that you that you haven't had a chance to say yet? Well, I see the the new um, parliament, or what you want to call it, of Turkmenistan is going to be called the Majlis of Turkmenistan. So I I think your podcast was ahead of its time there. No, I got to check the copyright law on that one. Thank you. Well, for what's it the other way around? <laughs> so, I'm going to have to check on that. I might file a case. I think they're trying to steal my good publicity. <laughs> um, thank you for bringing that up. Rachel, anything I missed or anything you didn't have a chance to say that you want to say? Thank you so much for this opportunity, uh, Bruce. There, there's so much to say about Turkmenistan. We didn't, we haven't touched on uh, social economic rights, the the crisis of affordable food, uh, but we can get to that too, uh, at another time. Okay, thanks. Farouk? Nope, nope. Uh, I, nothing, nothing that I can add. That's fine. Okay, that's good. All right, well then in that case, thank you Farouk, Rachel, and Ivar for being on the program today. Uh, and a big thank you to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjlis podcast producer in Washington, D.C. And a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjlis podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.